welcome to the first ever Health Interactions podcast. It is an idea we've been toying with for a while until we decided some of our amazing clients have some incredible stories and experiences. Today, Tom speaks with his client, Joe about her breast cancer diagnosis and subsequent treatments. Please remember this information is general in nature and can be only applied to the individual telling their story. Hello, everyone. My name is Morgan Freeman. Have you ever wondered what our lives would be like without stories? Stories are aspiring to the universe. They give us strength, motivation, and a desire to achieve. But has the world heard your story? I am here to introduce the Health Interactions Podcast, an opportunity to hear the incredible stories of everyday people. Thank you, Morgan Freeman, for that introduction to the first ever Health Interactions podcast. I've got Joe with me. Um, I just want to start with a big congratulations to Joe on completing a 12-week exercise program with me. It's been tailored at Oncology Rehabilitation, and um, it's a little program that I've been running through Breast Cancer Network Australia. We've just finished that 12-week program, and she saw fantastic results with an increase in overall strength and overall aerobic capacity. And in the more subjective measurements of questionnaire, we've seen an increased rating of quality of life and a decrease fear of future diagnostic tests. So I think that's a fantastic outcome for you, both in the subjective measurements of the mental state, but also physically you did really well. So getting started, Joe, I just want to hear a little bit of your story, if you could Take me back to that sort of diagnosis and how that came about and how you felt and sort of what experience did you did you feel? Uh, for me, I guess obviously it's a shock to everyone in my life. I've never been particularly unhealthy. Not unhealthy, but never been um, sick in any way that's, you know, where you'd be in hospital or anything like that. Uh, I was a new mother, and, um, which was very exciting for me. And uh, I was in the shower and I thought that uh, I had felt a little lump on my breast. It was quite hard. Came out of the shower and said to my husband, oh, can you feel this? He he thought that he could, but obviously he didn't know what he was looking for either. I actually already had a breast doctor because I have benign uh, cysts in my breasts. So I'd had an appointment to see her in May, and this was around December of the year before. So I made an earlier appointment to go and see her, had an ultrasound. Um, You know, on the ultrasound it did show um, a cyst that looked a bit suspicious, but it wasn't anything that she was at that time particularly concerned about. I was 38, I think, at the time. Um, So obviously quite young, obviously young women do get breast cancer. She wasn't too worried, especially because I was a new mother, and there's lots of reasons why you could have cysts on the breast during that time period. So she had said to me, did I want to come back in a couple of months, which would make it February, or did I want to come back in um, May, which was my normal appointment? Um, And I'm not good at waiting for anything at all. I can't even lay by things in my life. So I was like, no, I'll come back in February. So I went back and it was still there. So I had a ultrasound again and I had a biopsy. Again, nobody was worried uh, from the person doing the biopsy and and her as well. And it was just after my 38th birthday. Um, It was a couple of days after. And then I was diagnosed on the Friday. She called me up and I remember the moment very clearly. I I was in bed with my little boy in the morning. And I thought, isn't this lovely? She's calling me up 
just for a chat to tell me everything's okay. She was very lovely on the phone. Oh, no. A uh, very lovely conversation. And, um, yeah, said, oh, actually, where's your husband at that moment? And uh, it was like an out-of-body experience like you see in movies where someone's looking in at their lives and you're like, this does not make any sense at all. So... From then, it was actually, I think, the, the probably the worst thing about my diagnosis was it was of a Friday, so oh. I had to wait until the Monday for my surgery. That weekend was a awful weekend. It um, would have felt like it went forever. It went forever, and I can't even explain to anyone what the anxiety was like. I would say in my life, I've, at different times, I have anxiety before but not like I did in this instance. Like if I ate, I, I literally thought that I was going to throw up for food straight away. Yeah, I, I, and to this day I would say the anxiety was worse than everything else I went through from the treatment to the surgery to, um, yeah, from the chemo to the radiation. I personally, for me, because it's different for everyone, I feel like the anxiety is r- really quite t- terrible for for you to like experience so yeah then I had the surgery of the Monday um, but also what made it quite difficult for me is my parents my, my sister and my mother were overseas uh, and obviously you want to tell the people you love that you're going through this and they're on a lovely holiday and they're going to be flying back on the day I was scheduled for surgery uh, and so there's lots of conversations my husband and, and I about well do we tell them before I have surgery or do they come back and learn that I have cancer and what did you go with uh so we we I called them uh and told them over the phone that yeah I had cancer and I was going to be having surgery the next day so they came straight from the airport to the hospital um and I had had my surgery so yeah that was basically um I guess the time period it all happened so quickly as soon as you kind of find out you go through the process very quickly and I guess in hindsight, you don't know, well, you have time to think things through and to make decisions. You just kind of go with what your doctors are saying, which is obviously a good thing as well. And then I understand there was further complications. Yes, I actually also got diagnosed with a melanoma, an in-situ melanoma around the same time. Went and had a, a little freckle removed on my chest and that ended up then being an in-situ melanoma, uh, which I then had taken off before I had my surgery, which having gone through the process before, you don't understand what low immunity means when you're going through your chemo cycle. So you have three stages of your chemo cycle from when obviously you first have your chemo, then you feel a little bit unwell for a period of time, low immunity, and then you feel a little bit better, um, and then you go through the cycle again. So... My low immunity meant that I was on uh, double antibiotics <laughs> for um, my little tiny melanoma that I had taken off. And even to this day, my scar from my melanoma is drastically worse than my scar from my breast cancer surgery. And, uh, you know, if I ever thought I was going to get cancer, which I never thought in my life, I would have always have thought I was going to get skin cancer because I'm one of those Australians that spent my whole life in the sun, some baking on the beach. A tan was healthy, so I've always had my skin checked, uh, you know, along the way, but I certainly loved being in the sun a lot. It's one of those things, it amazes me how when I work with people that have had a diagnosis like yours, a a cancer diagnosis, it's just how resilient you've just got to become. Like you said, it's not something anyone ever plans. It's your whole life gets turned upside down within the space of a week. I think you've done fantastic because you've just taken it on board 
you haven't let it control you you've controlled it you know you've come in you've changed your diet you've changed your lifestyle you've incorporated exercise into your life because you're so determined to beat it and i think you're in a fantastic space judging by your last appointment with your oncologist you certainly put yourself in the best possible position you could yeah i think that it's different for everybody but i find for myself the biggest motivation for me was my son um, so he's been the wor- the best thing for me and the worst thing for me. The best thing for me because it gave me a purpose throughout uh, treatment to make sure I always got up and I always lived my life as I did before because somebody needed me drastically during that time period where, you know, he was only about four or five months when I was diagnosed. So, you know, it wasn't, it is an option obviously to, to stay into bed and, you know, if you yeah. need to. But for me, uh, I was quite resilient that I wanted to look after him in that time period and spend as much time with him as possible. So that's why it was the best thing for me. But in the worst thing, I can literally cry on cue if I think about, and I probably will now if I think about it, so I'll try not to, that will, if I'm not around, what that means because I have it. Yeah. So you've got a fantastic support network. You've had probably the best ever oncology nurse that I've ever met throughout your process. You had your family come straight from holidays to the hospital to see you post-surgery. How would you recommend someone in the future having that support network if they didn't have that family? Did you seek support groups and things like that or did you more so rely on them ones close to you and obviously Marissa, the um, the best oncology nurse? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, well, it's two stages. It depends what your treatment's going to be like because everybody's treatment's different. So for me, I did four rounds of chemo and then six weeks of radiation. So for the chemo, I actually just utilised my mother and my husband mainly during that time. Um, my mum's actually a nurse, so that made it quite helpful. And you do get a lot of support from the oncology nurses or the oncology staff during that time period and your doctors. You feel quite supported during that time period. So, yeah, I didn't really need any extra assistance during that time period. But when I went to do the radiation, it was quite different because obviously having my son, you have to go every single day for six weeks. And I had to have somebody help me look after him for the 20 minutes that I went in because there wasn't really the service there for, you know... Like a crash. Like a crash or anything like that, which I thought was quite astounding. But I I was lucky enough that I could have a schedule with family and friends who came and helped me every day. Most of the attention is obviously focused on you for such a long period of time. But you do see then the effects on your family and friends because even though you're the person with the cancer, they're the people who have somebody they love who has cancer and it has a very big effect on them and they have as many anxieties and stresses yeah. associated with that as well. And try and keep that from you because yeah. you've got all the, everything else to, to manage your way through. Yeah, correct. And, you know, they don't want to say the wrong thing, but they don't know what to say. They want to help, but they don't know how to help. And you don't know how to advise them because you don't know yourself because you've never been in that situation. So, yeah, it's quite difficult. But there are lots of really great resources for people who may not have the support network. You were just saying before your radiation, you were in there every day, five days a week for six weeks. How did you adjust to stopping them appointment in a position where you had all these appointments for your cancer treatment and you were consistently seeing people to help you manage you throughout your cancer journey to then everything just stops because you're past that period now? 
did you find like a loss of connection and a loss of I guess identity it's it's something that's quite common when people finish their treatments and then it's like well, well now what I used to have this fantastic support staff in the oncologist and the oncology nurses and consistently seeing people helping you guide your way through it to then now you're on your own mm, absolutely they say it's like a divorce yeah. uh, and they prepare you for my uh, doctor's kind of had already mentioned it to me and said it's it's going to feel like a divorce like you're in this supportive environment and you feel very protected and then you finish treatment and we say yes see you later we'll see you in three whatever your time period is we'll see you in three months we'll see you in six months or we'll see you in a couple of weeks whatever it is for your next bit of treatment so yeah it definitely does feel very different because you think to yourself oh but hang on aren't I very sick yeah. Why doesn't anybody care anymore? Why doesn't what what's happening? Why don't you want to talk to me all the time and check yeah. on me? Uh, and you know, with that, some anxiety comes because then you're you feel the pressure on yourself to. What, are you noticing any differences in your body at all to tell somebody? Whereas before, if when you had your weekly appointments or daily appointments, if you notice something or you see something or you just have read something which you know you shouldn't have looked up. And you, so you're a bit crazy because you've read, looked at something you shouldn't have, and um, you now think you're going to die. That you could easily mention it every day when you went in. You said, "Oh, you know, I've seen this or I've heard this," and you know they allay your fears and they're like, "Oh, well, actually, you don't need to be worried about that. There's no correlation between that something you've seen on the internet actually sometimes can be true, but often there's not enough information in kind of what's there to to be accurate." So, yeah, it definitely does feel very different uh, and in a good way sometimes because, yeah, now that I've I've finished all my treatments and I'm not seeing my doctors as much and I'm getting some positive reinforcement when I do see them that they, you know, they think that I'm doing well and that I'm looking well and, you know, they're, they're proud of me in some ways that, you know, you feel good about yourself. You just want to get on with your life. You want your life to go back to normal. Good. Not that there is a normal. There's your pre-cancer yeah. life and your after-cancer life. Yeah. But, um, you're, yeah, and sometimes your new normal is a little bit better in some ways. So I would have still wished to not have had it. Absolutely. But, yeah, I definitely have a lot of positives that have come from it. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, are quite quite surprised with, with how depressing it can be to finish them appointments where you get told you're going well, we don't want to see you now for a little bit. So everything mm. that you just said is really quite a common experience, both for you and other people. That- yeah, it just depends what type of personality type you have. And I yeah. think you, throughout this process, you kind of learn a lot about yourself to what you need, to what you don't need. And it's a good thing that I finished treatment and I get to say that I'm a survivor and move on. And hopefully that continues for the rest of my life, which hopefully will be a long one. Yeah. As an exercise physiologist and since you've just gone through a period of exercise tailored to you your condition and where you're at in your journey where do you see exercise fitting in yeah i would have said before getting the cancer i was probably the most sedentary i had been in my entire life i don't think that has anything to do with getting the cancer but just in terms of my um, health at that particular time that um, I'd come off having a baby, so I was home a lot and, you know, really focusing my attention on him. So prior to that, I'd been walking a lot in my life to work and home and and I would exercise, you know, every now and again. I went through periods where obviously very fit to not fit. So I wouldn't have said I was an unfit person in my life, no. but I didn't love exercise. It wasn't something that I was drawn to. I wasn't one of those people that it wasn't part of who my makeup of who I am. 
I did go through stages where I did enjoy it if I was doing, you know, I found something new. I like like bar classes I, and I really enjoyed that. So I do that or horse riding or dancing or things like that. But I was always a little bit scared of the, scared of the gym a little bit. So obviously after my diagnosis, they, they had mentioned to me that exercising was beneficial um, through treatment. And so anything they were telling me to do, basically I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and I, and I think the thing I struggled with the most at the start is really understanding, well, what that meant. So I guess the guideline they had given me was, you know, try for 30 minutes a day um, of exercise, you know, throughout your treatment, if you can. I every day was trying to make sure on most days I was doing 30 minutes of some sort. Um, but very haphazardly, I didn't know really what I was doing or what type of exercise I should be doing because I'd never been one to really understand the makeup of, well, what's the difference between strength training to cardio, you know, running on the, the treadmill or walking or anything like that. And so it's been a bit of a love-hate relationship with myself in regard to exercise, especially at the start. I distinctly remember a lot running on the treadmill um, or running doing park run with my, my husband and pushing my baby in the pram and pretty much having a mantra in my head, which was not a very – lots of profanity about cancer. So like pretty much like F cancer, F cancer, yeah. like continually going. And that kept me going that like around the park. Like I was like – so it wasn't a very positive relationship that I had with exercise, but it was something I felt like I should be doing. Uh, but over time, you know, I'd finish a good session and feel so good. Yeah. And I could see my um, fitness improving and that made me feel really good. And obviously I could see differences in my body as well. So you you really just need to hit your, I, I, I don't know, your sweet spot with it and then you start to feel better about it and then you enjoy it and then you look forward to doing it and then you miss it when you don't do it. Out of everything I've enjoyed the exercise component and learning what's good for me and what I should be doing, probably more than the eating better um, yeah. component of it because yeah I really have enjoyed like either the swimming that I'm doing or going to the gym or running or walking or I've just started trekking doing some bush walking and things like that that yeah that it can be quite enjoyable experience was the um was the tailored program from an exercise physiologist really useful in um helping you enjoy it and I guess guiding you uh that's why I was quite keen when I saw your program to do it so that then I knew I guess the most effective and efficient way for me yeah. to be exercising, you know, I went back to work for a little bit and obviously with my young child, I'm very type, time poor. So being effective in what I'm doing is very important to yeah. me. And yeah, knowing how to do things properly as well. So the stretching definitely was something that I found very beneficial because I wasn't really doing it at all. Obviously, the stretches you gave me were quite detailed and I really noticed from the start of the program to the end of the program a, a difference in my flexibility yep. in my chest area, which was wonderful. And then from, I guess, an exercise point of view that I'm no longer scared of weights in a gym. I've kind of always had, you think it's more like it's going to sound very sexist, like a, a, a men's section of the gym because, like, you know, obviously the the weights can be quite heavy and they're obviously utilized by the men a lot. And so you're like, oh, if I go and I pick up my little weights from there, I feel like I'm utilizing a space that should be for other people. Um, I'm so glad that that, <laughs> that perception has changed though. And one last thing before we wrap this one up, 
any advice? If there was sort of one piece of advice, if you could go back in time and give yourself, or if you could pass it on to someone that was in a very similar situation to you with breast cancer diagnosis, if there was one bit of advice to give someone, what do you think that would be? Oh, it's such a hard one. I think probably my biggest bit of advice would be that you're going to be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be different than your life before. You'll find that the people who work in oncology are some of the most amazing people you have met in your life and you miss them when you can't see them anymore because they really are so supportive. And I'd also say, which is quite, it's a hard one because at the start you want to compare yourself to other people. So you want to know, you think to yourself, the first thing I did was I thought to myself, oh, well, I actually know quite a few people have had breast cancer. And one was like 10 years ago and one was 20 years ago and they're fine. So I'm going to be fine. But unfortunately and fortunately, everybody's cancer story is unique to them. Even if somebody gets diagnosed with with exactly the same breast cancer as you have at the same time and the same Same size and the same treatment, it is not the same. So comparing yourself to anybody or any situation just doesn't work or isn't helpful. So it really is just listen to your doctors or your complementary doctors, whatever, or specialists, whatever way you want to go through your treatment. Lots of people do different things. That whatever's right for you is right for you. Yes, absolutely. I'm happy to wrap that up there. Are you? Sure. Thank you so much for coming by and having a talk to us. I think if we can help one person, it's all worthwhile doing. Sure. Thanks heaps, Joe. Thank you.